0: I read something rather shocking this week that I want to uh, just talk about. Oh, hang on, first of all, I've got to get my iPad working. Here we go. Um, just before I tell you what, what was shocking, I want you to um, get something to write with and write on today. I don't... It's up to you whether you take notes on the message or not. That's not really it, but there is something I want you to write down in a minute. Um, So on your device or a bit of paper, pen, whatever it is, um, that would be good. So the shocking thing was that I read in a news item the death of the dinner party. And that was the heading, the death of the dinner party. And I said to myself... What is that? And uh, this person reckon that nobody has dinner parties anymore. Uh, put your hand up if you still have dinner parties. you actually invite a bunch of people around, you put on something nice, you yeah, okay, uh, bucking the trend, I like that. Uh, this writer said that dinner parties reached their peak in the 80s and the 90s. That was the era of dinner parties and I was just thinking about uh, Joan and myself and and I thought, yeah, that's probably right. We probably did have more dinner parties then in that time. They reckon that the change in the millennium signaled the death of the dinner party. That's what they they say. Um, I want to uh, change all that. So this week I'm inviting you to a dinner party and this is what you've got to write down, it may come up on the screen, but first of all I want you to uh, write down Joan's phone number, I didn't put mine because I don't want a whole lot of crank calls, but, um, <laughs> but so I gave you Joan's, so if you want to sell a solar panels or anything like that, feel free to, uh, to ring her up and her number is up there. And uh, we're declaring a dinner party this Thursday night at our place. Now, if that's your Connect Group night, we'll understand that you can either bring your whole Connect Group or you can have your Connect Group anyway and bow out. Um, I'm not really sure whether this whole group would fit into our lounge room. We'd have a good a good go at it. Uh, I, I don't really mind, to be honest. Um and i'll just put our address down so that you can write that down as well and if you we'll either say it at 7 but please come before that anytime after 6 not before 6 otherwise i'll have to get you to do the vacuuming and all that kind of stuff um, but we'd like to like to invite you uh, to a dinner party and it's an italian theme <laughs> <laughs> and you're bringing it, right? Uh, uh, you, part of the RSVP is to tell us that you're going to bring a pizza or a lasagna or or anything else that's Italian, spag bowl or, or something, nice bread, some vino or whatever it is. Um, and so uh, please... Uh, just message Joan. Say, "Yeah, we're coming. There's 15 of us, and we're bringing a, a, a loaf of bread or whatever it is, <laughs> and and we'll see what happens. See what happens. They reckon that people still get together and eat, but they go down to the local cafe or they do it a little more informally. So, which is probably." Uh, realistically, that's probably right, um, but we're going to declare this a, a dinner party, and uh, if you can make it, that would be great. And we'll just chat. There's no agenda except to eat and enjoy. Um, I got to say, just we're in Luke fourteen today, by the way, which is all about dinner parties. That's why, that's why I'm I'm carrying on. I've already started preaching, really. Uh, because dinner parties are the theme, uh, and all of Luke 14 is about dinner parties. You can turn to that in, in your Bible if you want to or on your device to, what, to see what Jesus says about uh, dinner parties. He, he actually, because we're in this theme of, of Jesus' invitations, and last week we did the invitation about, come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Uh, and today is the invitation to a dinner party. Jesus actually uh, loved dinner parties. He he uh, went to a lot. In this case, he did turn up to a, to a dinner party. Uh, sometimes he invited himself to a dinner party, though he... He calls Zacchaeus out of the tree and he says, guess what, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to a dinner party at your place. Uh, so he was into, into dinner parties. Um, he started this particular dinner party as uh, an invitee. He he was invited, apparently, uh, to, the, to the Pharisee's house, which is kind of interesting since... Uh, a lot of the, he knew that a lot of these Pharisees weren't all that keen on him, and the, how many people have ever been to an awkward dinner party where there's a little bit of tension happens in the yeah okay. well, this one actually starts off a bit like that and the 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 first thing that happens is this little bit of confrontation between uh, Jesus and his his host guests and then it kind of gets, it gets worse, uh, then it gets a little bit better, and in the end, uh, Jesus talks a little bit about a, a, an awesome dinner party that he wants us all to be part of. We, we begin our Christian lives as a response to invitation. In fact, I would say that every relationship begins with Invitation. No invitation, no relationship. You just think about that and put it to the test and, and ask yourself whether that is true or not. So, a young guy uh, looks over and he sees a, a rather attractive girl and he thinks, I'd like to get to know that, that girl. Uh, how is he going to make that first move? Well, it's going to be an invitation. Isn't it? Would you like to come do coffee with me or whatever? It actually begins with invitation. And uh, and so it is. By the way, I've already had a great time in church this morning by everything that happened on the platform, but I actually began before that with a conversation uh, uh, down here uh, with this young man who uh, uh, tells me that this church is the first church he's ever been in. Is that right? Uh, I was stoked. I loved hearing that because you know what that means to me? He actually met Jesus in this church and uh, uh, it began, and he tells me as we had that conversation, that it actually began with an invitation and it was a girl who invited him and and uh, uh, anyway... uh, (laughs) (laughs) It was a great story. just love that. I I guarantee you've got a a story of an invitation somewhere in your life that actually was a turning point in your your life. Uh, I like the look of Joan, but she actually invited me first. And she wrote me a letter inviting me to a a party. And I thought, that is one hot-looking chick. I think... (laughs) I think I'm going to say yes, and, uh, and the rest is history. Um, so Luke 14, verse 1. This is the whole chapter, and it's fairly long, so we'll just, just engage with the story of it, uh, but we will read uh, some verses of it as well. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, this was an after-church church Lunch, probably, in our setting, that's what it would be. I'd been to church, come back to my place for lunch. So he was being carefully watched. So this is kind of like a dinner party when you're not having a dinner party in that it was a bit of a combination dinner party, uh, suss you out kind of deal. And this guy had deliberately invited Jesus but he was watching him. The Bible is very cryptic about that. Jesus was being watched. They actually wanted to know a little more about him. Can we actually invest in this guy? Should we be against him? Should we be listening to him? Uh, We're not not really sure. So uh, it may have been a little bit more like a corporate dinner stroke dinner party where you actually go there to meet important people and what do they call it networking we we're networking you go to a you go to a, a corporate lunch it's not really just to make new friends you're actually networking who in this room is useful to me who can who's actually going to give me work who's actually going to give me an opportunity and it was probably a little bit along that edge by the way that's not going to happen next thursday night all right so just come. Um, but it was an intriguing, this whole chapter is an intriguing uh, combination of the social and the spiritual. We quite often don't connect those two things. We kind of think social is social and spiritual is spiritual. Um, I I really like this church. I I. I I'm, I'm uh, fascinated by the strengths of this church. You know, one of the things that I reckon you can tell about great leaders is what happens when they're not here. And uh, and we've always had great esteem for Chris and Ruth about it's gone up a few notches because w- while they're not here, their presence is not they're not physically here, the team is just amazing. And it it comes down to communion and the offering talk and and the band and the worship leading, and it's just awesome, which which basically comes down to great leadership. Uh, You can always tell uh, a a, a lot about a leader by what happens when they're not here. Um, But the social and the spiritual, last... um, Uh, I love the way a a lot of you come quite early to church. I like that. And it's probably a little bit of the architecture of this building, but that courtyard is a happening place. And you could say, oh, it's all social out there. No, I don't reckon it is. I reckon it's, it's a little bit more than that because every conversation will go in a certain direction and I think it was last Sunday morning after church where we were all out there again. Uh, and I noticed a couple of people, they were talking together, having coffee together. The next thing, they're praying together. So, social and spiritual, let's, let's actually uh, remove that barrier, in, even in our thinking. Because Jesus would go to a wedding, and suddenly something remarkable spiritually happens. At the wedding. And he can go down to the beach, talk to a couple of fishermen and he's just being friendly there down by the beach but suddenly a world-altering, a history-altering spiritual event takes place. Uh, so when we go out uh, into our Mondays and Tuesday this week, uh, you know, let's think a bit bigger about what can happen at all kinds of different levels in our lives. Um, Jesus actually – so this message is a little bit about inviting as well, about being invited, how to behave when you're invited, and how to uh, be the inviter. And, uh, you know, Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3.20 – He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. But you need to invite me. That's what he's saying. So he invites us, then we invite him. And suddenly relationship is built. It's a two-way thing. There's an invitation, there's a response, and then there's an invitation that comes the other way and another response. And suddenly you've got an incredible relationship happening. Jesus invites us into his world, but we need to invite him into our world as well. And not just our spiritual life, but into our home life, our work life, our reading and watching life, our finance life. Our friendship, life, every area of life Jesus wants to be invited in and I hope you do that on a regular basis because all of life actually involves Jesus and he's part of it and when he does, everything will go better. So the next part of this message is, uh, I've entitled it Invite Behaving Badly. Uh, and the Bible says that Jesus was being watched, but he was actually doing some watching of his own. Uh, And he was, anyway, let's just read it. When Jesus, this is verse 14 now. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner, well, first of all, there's this healing of the man with a swollen foot, dropsy, that is the term they use. And he has this, little bit of confrontation, this awkward moment with the, deci- with the Pharisees where he says, is it okay for me to heal this guy? It's the Sabbath, you know. And, of course, they got all their rules for the Sabbath. The Bible says they, they weren't game to say anything. It was, uh, it was a bit too provocative. So they remained silent, so he heals that guy. So now we're up to verse 7. And when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honour, Near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. So he's watching and they're vying for position. This actually is a life principle, not just a dinner party principle. Some people spend their lives vying for position. And Jesus is watching this and he's going to say something about it and And it'd be good for us all to listen a little bit because we've probably all been there at at different times. When you are invited to a wedding feast, it doesn't say this party is a wedding feast, by the way. It doesn't actually say what the celebration is, Um, but he's now bringing in the wedding feast. Don't sit in the seat of honour. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has been invited? And the host will come and say, give this person your seat and then you'll be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table and then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we've got a better seat for you, a better place for you and then you will be honoured in front of the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's, that's a put it on your fridge kind of saying of Jesus because it is, it is so powerful and it, it is worth having in our face quite often. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Joe and I, are, our home church is Hope You See and um, some of you may know but but we uh, pioneered the Charm Haven Church which we, when we were doing it was called North Lakes Christian Life Centre and uh, now it is the Hope You See uh, Charm Haven campus and Pastor Mark and Darlene are, are a beautiful, wonderful People, and they always want us, and myself, to sit down in the front row with them. Uh, and it's kind of, when I read this, because we'll, we'll quite often want to just sit back, you know, like kind of thing. Um, because I actually totally believe what Jesus is saying here. I think if you if you start to push yourself uh, somewhere along the line, it's going to come unstuck. It'll get it'll get ugly. Um, anyway. They want to refer to us as the founding pastors. That's our official title, uh, which I love because we don't do anything. So, <laughs> so so I don't want a title that implies that you actually do anything. Um, so anyway, and they love us to sit down in the front. So sometimes we'll go and try and sit up the back and then somebody will come up and Pastor Mark and Darlene, I want you to come and sit down. Okay. Um, so Jesus here is talking about pushy and self-promoting people. Um and we've probably all seen them, and we don't want to be that person, I hope. Um, later on, he talks about people who are the opposite. They're reluctant people. They're standoffish. They they don't actually want to even buy in. They, you're lucky to actually get them through the door. Never mind head for the best seat. It's like we've got these two extremes in this one chapter, which is quite quite an interesting thing. So my next heading is... So we've got invitees behaving badly, the pushy people who want to get recognition. Now we've got inviters behaving badly as the heading of this one. And this is verse 12. He turned to his host and he said, When you put on a luncheon or a banquet or a Thursday night dinner party, uh, he said, Don't invite just your friends, brothers, relatives and rich neighbours for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And then, at the <laughs> actually, one one Christmas, I'll tell you this story. Uh, Jan and I decided this is when we were doing doing the church up there that we would invite the well. Our kids called them the lame, halt, and blind. Um, after this passage, we, we just put out an invitation. Anybody who's got nowhere to go Christmas Day, come to our place. But we had the strangest group of people at Christmas dinner that that year. And our kids said to us, that was great, Mum and Dad. Can we not do that next year? Um, anyway, um, but it says, Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. It's a great, great principle, you know, like to reach out to people and and one of the things, one of the joys of being with you this week and coming in in, in a way with new eyes, we, 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 we haven't, you know, followed the total history of of your cho- church and everything but we come in and we just see awesome things everywhere we see awesome people everywhere and we think it's it's wonderful and and uh, i think right across our central coast there's all different expressions of people who love god and are serving god praise god for the salvation army who are out there uh, you know serving these it's their specialty and they do it so well we should celebrate them and praise god for every church that's alive and And announcing that Jesus is the hope of our generation. Amen. Um, But he said, there's nothing worse than a clique, especially if you're not part of the clique. And uh, we've probably all been that there at times. There's a clique going on here, and I'm not part of it. What's going on here? And uh, what a terrible thing if that happens in church life, which I, I. Sure, it would never happen here. But this is what Jesus is talking about. You only invite the people who you think are in your in-group, and he says, "Why don't you invite people who are uh, in no group?" And it's about uh, the socio-economic thing, I suppose, but it's also about uh, education, age, ethnicity—not just the people who fit in to your little way of doing life. Uh, because we all in reality will have people who we think they're just my kind of people, and you kind of click with those kind of whatever kind of people that is, you just love spending time with them. It's, it's a great exercise to actually push the edge a bit, actually engage with somebody who's not your kind of person uh, is a healthy thing, a good thing, good for them, good for you, good for the kingdom. It's in, it's in embracing, in fact. One of the things that made Jesus a standout in his three years that he was a public figure was that he did exactly that. And uh, their best criticism of him was he hangs around with the wrong people. Well, what a wonderful thing to say. And what what a... great thing if they said it about us as well they hang around with the wrong people Uh, well wrong people in whose eyes what does that actually mean and jesus was known as a friend of publicans and sinners um so the influence of the invitation so this party's going on and he's in the pharisee's house and the, the the conversation has got a bit of a mind of its own it's kind of Think, who's, who's running this thing? It's got a little bit of edge to it because there's that awareness that this Jesus, he's, he's actually got a different mindset to us. We're not really sure whether he's really supporting us or not. And then out of this whole teaching that Jesus talks about, who you should invite into your world, um, out pops this guy. He's the try-hard in the, in, the, in the party, I, I think. And he kind of pipes up with this thing in verse 15. And uh, anyway, just, just read it and we'll see what we make of it. Uh, when one of those at the table with him heard this, that's what we've just read about who you invite, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Kind of sounds a bit strange to me. It's not kind of... Like he suddenly switched from social to spiritual and I would say social to super spiritual. You think, what? What did you say? And he, but he comes out with it. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. It's kind of like that statement that hangs in the air at the party. Think, what? What, you, what do you mean? And he's suddenly talking about the future, and he's he's talking about an end of all things. One of the things I love about this chapter is that it actually portrays the kingdom of God as a party. I love that. I love that because I know that Jesus, over the, the, the three years, he... He compared the kingdom of to a lot of things. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like this. It's like that. It's like a man who goes out to sow and all this sort of thing. In this chapter, he's saying the kingdom of God is a party. Uh, and he's unashamedly saying that. And I kind of like that because it suits C3. It's a bit of a party party church and a bit of a party movement. A lot of people call our kind of churches, or put myself in your Because I'm totally there as well They call us uh, happy clappies Have you ever heard of that? Uh, Well whatever the opposite of a happy clappy is I don't want to be it Um, So if if I'm going to be anything I'd rather be a happy clappy Don't mess with me while I'm being happy and clapping uh, Because I reckon it's not a bad way to go So Jesus mentioned the connection between invitations and the resurrection of the righteous and then Jesus suddenly is confronted with this guy who pipes up about the kingdom and the end of all things and the broader uh, aspects of what the kingdom represents and out of that Jesus tells this incredible story. So he's not preaching now. He's at a social event, but he tells this parable. It is such a powerful, powerful parable, and I'm just going to read it uh, through, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll get what we can out of it in terms of our own lives. Because I I think this is one of the most moving and one of the one of the most powerful guidelines for my own life about uh, how I participate in the kingdom of God. So. Up to verse 16. Jesus replied, this is to this guy who made this statement that was hanging out there, so he, Jesus is writing in on that and he's saying, oh, okay, while you're thinking about that, he replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and he sent out many invitations. For feast. you can read dinner party, banquet, whatever. Uh, normally this parable is called the parable of the great banquet. Uh, I think it could equally be the parable of the uh, weak excuses. But anyway, uh, we'll come to that in a minute. So when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready, the food's out, time to come. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just brought a field and must inspect it. I'm not sure when the banquet was. The implication is it is probably this is probably a nighttime banquet, so not really sure how he's going to inspect his field in the middle of the night. But anyway, uh, please excuse me. Excuse number one. Another said, I have just brought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, verse verse 20. I just got married, so don't expect me to come. I can't come. Please excuse me. And so the servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious. It's a pretty strong word. It's pretty pretty, uh, straightforward, I think, this story, that the master is God himself and that the servants who are going out Issuing the invitation is us He doesn't go himself He actually uses people to issue invitations um, He was furious And he said go quickly into the streets And the alleys of the town And invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame There's those same that same group of people again the disadvantaged, the unlikely, the far away, the the strugglers, the people who are are finding life tough. And after the service, so they the servants go off. There's another meeting. The servant had he comes back with his report. It says, verse twenty-two. The, after the servant had come uh, done this, he reported, "Well, we've done that, and there's still more room." So his master said, "Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges." Uh, King James, by- the highways and the byways, uh, and urge anyone you find to come. This has suddenly gone up a notch from an invitation. The, the ante has been lifted. He's, he's now using the word urge. Some translation says compel, get pushier. That's what he's saying. Don't take no for an answer. And this is a pretty, I I think, a very powerful word for us who are representing Christ here in 2018, all these years later, because we also have people who we invite and are reluctant to come. I wonder how pushy we dare become. Uh, because sometimes they've only got to roll their eyes and will withdraw the invitation. You know, like we sometimes I, I know that you can be too pushy and I understand that. Sometimes it can be counterproductive. Sometimes you push too hard, people will react and that's... You know, I'm telling you that because that's happened to me a couple of times. I think I'm going in here a bit harder, and the, the harder thing has backfired on me. And not only do they say, No, I'm not coming to church, but I don't really want to hang around with you anymore. There's been a, a few, they don't usually say those words. You just, it just works that way. Uh, and you actually lose the, the connection. Hey, how many, give me a wave if you understand what I'm talking about here, because I hope I'm not the only one where that happens. So, but Jesus is actually saying, Don't be too quick to back away because there's a lot at stake here. And he says to urge anyone you find to come. And his final phrase is so that my house will be full. So Jesus has, you know, he now is assuming the changing role from the invited to the invitee. Uh, Invite her. How to be a great inviter? And he says, "We're not going to actually be satisfied until the house is full." Uh, So, what represents a full house? You you, you know, you can you can take this at different levels. I suppose you can think on the worldwide church uh, in African countries, Asian countries, South America millions of people coming to Christ, like they reckon there are more people being born again today accepting Christ than ever in the 2,000 years history of the church. There are also more people being martyred today than ever in the history of the church. We read the book of Acts and read about Stephen and whatever and we think oh a shock how how terrible that you know they stoned him and And what a terrible thing it is. But actually, every day today, people are sacrificing their lives for the cause of the gospel. I'm not telling you that to depress you. I'm just saying that there's an incredible amount at stake when we become followers of Christ. We become champions of a new way of life. We become spokespeople for hope. We actually are doing it, I think, in 2018... In a, the saddest world that has ever been, the most violent world, the most hopeless world, every day we, we read, watch our news bulletins and we, we get the desperate need for the gospel presented to us once again. I, I hope you feel that. And he's saying uh, to all of us, I mean we know... I better I better say this. he's initially talking about because all of Jesus' parables had multi-layers. So he's actually talking about the rejection of the Jews. They're the ones that are making all the excuses. So he's actually directly talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to his host, and he's saying, I'm inviting you to come to this banquet. And you guys are coming up with every excuse under the sun. So he actually tells the story, but the Pharise its not lost on the Pharisees. He's, they, they're getting this thing. It's actually generating a lot of tension. It ended up with Jesus on the cross, in, not that far away. Uh, it actually began with these sort of occasions where he actually told them. Uh, but it actually—we can broaden it out to us. when when we may or may not be of Jewish heritage, but we're all receiving this invitation to come and we come up with excuses. I just want to talk a little bit just to to tie this together about, because this is the thing that I read. When I was reading this, I think, God, please help me learn what you want me to learn from this particular passage. And so I'm going to pass on to you... uh, what I believe God spoke to me about. He says there there are three things that will keep you from God's party, that will keep you from actually uh, filling the room and you need to think about what those things are. So uh, here's my take on it. The first one is I've bought a field and I must go and see it. So I'm saying to myself... And all of us in 2018, Central Coast in Australia, carriers of the gospel, there is one thing, actually three, but we'll talk about this first one first, number one, that will actually sabotage our capacity to fill the room. And one of those things is your possessions. What you possess is will end up possessing you. In this guy's case, it was a field uh, and a, a, a block of land. For us, it could well be our home. It could be my swimming pool. I I can remember, um, Joan and I lived for a lot of years down at Bayview at the end of Pittwater there, uh, around from Mona Vale, and... Uh, I had a yacht and I bought the, the hull of this yacht and I fitted it all out. Uh, it wasn't a huge yacht but it was pretty nice and uh, every uh, Friday afternoon uh, all of our family uh, would hop on the yacht and we'd sail up to the basin uh, there and we'd anchor and just enjoy it. It was, it was awesome. And for, for a long time while I was fitting it out and, and doing all this, we had it sitting in the front yard up on a, sort of a cradle and I'd go down and I'd be putting cupboards in and all, the kitchen and the little stove and I'd, I'd be just like a kid in a cubby house. I'd go, this, this thing's awesome. Uh, and even when it was on dry land, it was awesome, you know. Once it, once it started to bob up and down in the water, I think this is great, you know. And... Um, life went on i uh, we this was i wasn't i really didn't understand the holy spirit i was saved i knew jesus i'd not experienced the baptism of the holy spirit so i'm just i'm just you a little bit of my journey along this i didn't actually that was actually a more transformative event in my life than even my salvation because i accepted christ when i was nine years of age i mean uh, there was other issues that I had to get through along the way, but because my mum and dad uh, taught me about Jesus, I, I haven't got a testimony that says, "Yeah, I was out doing incredible things, and one day I met Jesus." No, I, I kind of always knew Jesus. That's how it felt. But when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was a game changer for me, and it was it was radical. And I was I was a high school teacher at that stage, and and uh, uh, I'd applied for Henry Kendall High School uh, as a a, a head teacher position, they call it now. And so we were going to move. And so we were praying about that. I kind of knew that this event in my life was more than just a social thing. It was more than just a career thing. It was actually a God thing. I was very aware of that. The spiritual comes into every area of our lives and... But one day I was praying about it and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about the yacht and he said, you think you own that yacht and you love that yacht, that yacht actually owns you. I'm not going to tell you this story to to actually put anything on you, I'm just telling you how God interacted with me. He said, it's got your money, you're soaking money into this thing, you're soaking time into it, you're even not with your family as often as you, th- you think you're off the hook because you take them sailing on a Friday afternoon. But what about all the times you're down in there fiddle-faddling around in your yacht and the kids are upstairs and, and, and whatever, Anyways, So he started to hit me up about it. And uh, God said, I want, you to, I want you to sell it. I want you to get rid of it. And uh, because I, it was kind of like, yeah, I own that, but it's actually owning me. And it was actually keeping me from what, who I could become in God. Uh, so it's a special case for me. At that time, I'm not, not putting any trips on anybody. I'm just saying that sometimes your possessions, so I bought a block of land, now I can't come to the party. I don't think so. I reckon the party comes first. The kingdom comes first. And I had to learn that the hard way. So anyway, so I got the job at Henry Kendall High School. and we were, And every day... I would drive from uh, Terrigal into Henry Kendall High School and I didn't realise then that the guy who bought my yacht was from Gosford and I would pass that stupid yacht every day. (laughs) There it is, bobbing up in the water, (laughs) saying, I miss you, I miss you. (laughs) Anyway, possessions. Um, So... For your possessions, because we live in a very acquisitive generation. We want stuff and it's thrown at us all the time and advertising is, is just horrendously pushy and it creates dissatisfaction and it will energise us towards accumulating more because we think if we get more we'll be happier and it's not true. So whatever you own can end up owning you. Here's the question. Is there any possession in my life that is holding me back from saying yes to Jesus? Number two is busyness. This is what I've put it down to. I've got another word for you as well, but I've bought a yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. This is the – or maybe it's a distraction. It's whatever actually is capturing your attention. This guy says – so the yoke of oxen, of course, it represented his – his work capacity, till the ground, pull this, whatever, it was a useful thing. It's like machinery today. And I think that there is a way in which the gadgets in our lives, the things that actually fascinate us and cause us to be busy and soak up our time, actually can be the very things that stop us saying yes to the kingdom and yes to the capacity to fill the house and and so on. So uh, I, I'm wanting you to think a little bit broader than than the yoke of oxen because I'm not sure that anyone's bought a yoke of oxen uh, this week. That probably hasn't happened. But there's a lot of other stuff that, uh, and it, it, you know, I've got to be honest with you. I, I, the, I quite enjoy uh, my device, getting new games on it and all that kind of stuff until I realise how much time that's soaking up of my life. And that thing can actually... Be the busy thing, and to this guy, it was enough for him to say, "I'm too busy, can't do it." Busyness, uh, busy doing what? Is a good good question to ask. Uh, so here's the question: Am I too busy doing stuff that is holding me back to saying yes to God's invitation or whatever is going to involve His kingdom? I'm throwing that out to you this morning. In a minute. We'll close the, the service and I'd love to pray with you and you know, just share with you because we're all uh, in this in a way together. We can pray for each other in you know? it. So the third thing is relationships. I've just got married. I've got myself a wife so I can't come. Um, this represents people in your life. And those people are holding you back. They could be workmates, they could be sports team members, they, they could be a friendship circle that you're engaged in and they're actually demanding more and more of your involvement and that thing is actually drawing you away to a point where you are saying no and you're presenting excuses to God about what you know that he's putting in your life to do and it's actually distracting you. Um, So for married Read instead Whoever in my world Is likely to keep me from God's purpose You know You could go anywhere So the, the possessions Usually inanimate things The busyness is just activity things And this is people Who in my life when I spend time with them, they're so cynical, they're so negative, or they're demanding m- me be here or there or to take on this or to take on that. And the end result is that I'm making ex- the excuses I'm making is to God. Uh, in um, the book of Acts, yeah, you'll have the band up now because I'm just about done I'll tie this thing together. Um, in the book of Acts, there's this story where Paul is on this ship and they're getting shipwrecked. And the, the story in the book of Acts says that they were in fear for their lives. This storm is so so um, fierce that they begin to throw stuff overboard off their, off their ship. And so they've got a bit of cargo there. They probably throw the, the bedding off and whatever. And they're, they're lightening the ship. See, what happens when the storms of life come to us and life gets a little bit too busy, a little bit too much for us, that we will start to lighten our ship and we will actually start to eject things out of our lives. The the sad thing about that particular story, as you read it in the book of Acts, they said that finally they jettisoned the ship's tackle in other words, all the mechanisms, the, the rudder, the ropes, the, the pulleys, all that stuff that would enable them to steer the ship and to save the ship, they threw all that overboard. So basically at this point they're resigned to just ending up on the rocks because they couldn't even steer the thing anymore. And I was reading that at, at some stage and the Holy Spirit said to me, that's like a person that when life gets too busy and when the pressure builds and stress builds, they throw out the God stuff. That's the first thing that's going to go. I'm not going to be able to do the, the serving in church anymore. I'm going to have to quit from that because there's too many demands in my job and now I've got to travel, I'm doing all this, and now I'm sorry, I won't be able to serve in church. And it's actually, we end up throwing off the ship's tackle. The very thing that will save the ship and to keep us on track, and to, that's the thing that gets the chop. And I think, how, how sad is that? And I don't really know where you're at and just what your involvement is in ministry and in church life, in kingdom life and so on. But I would say to you, be very careful before church and the kingdom stuff becomes the thing that you cut out of your life. Yes, it may put an extra pressure on you, but it's actually the thing that will keep you centered. It's the thing that actually will carry the future with it. And I would say, be careful of it. Is there someone in my world who is becoming my excuse or anything in my world that is becoming my excuse for saying yes to Jesus? Just bow your heads. Would you do that? This is time for you to listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you. We're all... Our lives are full. I don't think there's ever been a time in history where people have lived fuller lives than we do. We've actually got this thing pressed down, shaken together and crammed. Every moment is precious. We look at our calendar and we think, how can we fit that in? How can we fit this in? And here's the Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning and saying, What about the party? What about the banquet? What about the kingdom? Go into the highways and the byways and fill my house. Father, I pray for every one of us here this morning as we struggle with these things and that we'll have enough courage to be honest in how our own lives are sitting and what's wearing us out and what's invading our space and our thought life and so on that you'll help us actually put you number one. As we heard earlier in this particular service, we're talking about that God's place is is number one. If you're in church this morning and you know that your relationship with God is not where it should be, you maybe the excuses have got so many that now you're kind of disconnected from God and there's a distance there, and you need to fix that. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to be part of this prayer. And there are two reasons why you should raise your hands. Number one is if you have known God, but you've actually become more and more distant until you know that the pressure is on, you can feel the the, the urging of the Holy Spirit, repair that relationship, say yes again, restore your connection with God if that's you, then I want you to respond this morning. Or maybe you've never consciously and deliberately received Christ as your saviour. If you've never done that, this is your opportunity to do it. We'll just pray for you. Somebody will help you, maybe, but it's not really about embarrassing you or or getting you to sign up to anything that you don't want to do, but it's just you responding to the invitation of God to please come to the party. This is for you. So if you want to be included in that prayer, I just want you to slip your hand up right where you are. Say, yeah, I'm in that. Pray for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Take courage. Say, yeah, come on, I need to do that. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Lord, I thank you for people, Lord, who want to connect to you. Lord, and I pray that you'll bless them and connect them back into you and your purposes today. In Jesus' name. I just want to pray one more prayer and then hand over to our worship team this morning. But if you know the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you this morning and it's related to your excuses, and I know that we touched on a couple of specific things today, Uh, but you know the Holy Spirit is saying, you know what, you've been making too many excuses and it's time to put those excuses behind. You're too young, you're too old you're too sick, you haven't got time, whatever it is, is actually an excuse. It's not really a reason. And today the Holy Spirit is saying, put away that excuse and start fulfilling your purpose in me. If that's you this morning and you want prayer for that, I want you to lift up your hand and say, yeah, count me in on that one. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God, for people who are responding this morning. Lord, I thank you that you watch our thoughts and everything we say. And one day we will stand before you. And And uh, we don't want to make a heavy trip out of that. We thank you so much that in this particular passage today, you describe your kingdom as a celebration, and that's what it is. We thank you for the joy of it. But Father, we pray that we will participate fully into and become everything that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Awesome. Come on, lead us.